New York's obituary has been written plenty of times, and they've proven premature. This time the city may just have found its match. Not war, not terrorism, stock market implosion, or subway collapse. The perpetrator may turn out to be the tax cut law signed by Donald Trump late last year. Welcome to Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Moss, economics writer and editor at Bloomberg View in New York. And I'm Scott Landman, economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. The new law limits the deductibility of state and local taxes. While that might not be a problem if you live in a low-tax state, i.e. in the South or the West, it's a huge problem if you live in a high-tax state, such as New York, Connecticut or California. And by the way, those states just happen to be overwhelmingly democratic. According to today's guests, the changes will go a lot further than denting a couple of property prices in Westchester County. It will mean nothing more than a steady, inexorable shift in economic, political, cultural and financial power toward the South and the West, where state and local taxes aren't as high. Now, some of this isn't particularly new. If you look at population data over the last few decades, there's already been quite a shift to the Sun Belt away from the Rust Belt and other northern northeast areas. But certainly since, say, 1964, one of America's two main political parties has become increasingly southern in flavor. It's really the idea that the cultural and financial center of the country or the centers might also shift that's the new part of this idea. Let's welcome our guest, Jared Dillian. He's editor of an investor newsletter called The Daily Dirt Nap, and he's also an outside contributor to Bloomberg View. Jared, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Jared, first up, why call your newsletter The Daily Dirt Nap? What is a dirt nap? I used to be a clerk on the Pacific Options Exchange back during the dot-com bubble, and a lot of the traders in San Francisco were surfers, and they would get off of work at one o'clock and uh, go surfing. And as you know, surfers kind of have their own lexicon. And dirt nap was the word they used for any time the market was going down. So they would look at the screens and then they would say, dude, the spoos are taking a hell of dirt nap, which meant that the market was going down. So I sort of co-opted the term and brought it back east. And you've served in the U.S. Coast Guard, where you were an expert in fisheries. That's correct. I was actually a boarding officer, a law enforcement officer for a couple of years. I boarded fishing vessels in the Pacific Northwest and up in Alaska in the Bering Sea. Um, and then I was actually a fisheries analyst for a few years uh, working out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And you also had the misfortune or maybe fortune, to be working at Lehman Brothers in September 2008. And now you're in South Carolina. Aside from Lehman's collapse, what drew you from the Northeast to the South? Well, we moved, you know, sort of for family reasons. My wife got a job here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, we were didn't really know what to expect uh, with regards to the move. And I have to say that culturally, it was a pretty big adjustment 
that took a few years. We've been here for about eight years now, and it's been a terrific move, and we absolutely love it. Now, Jared, you wrote a recent Bloomberg View column, very interesting piece, about a potential death spiral for states like New York or Connecticut. I know that the tax cut law is probably going to have some effect on those kinds of states because people won't be able to deduct their state taxes the same way they were before. But a death spiral? I mean, we've heard these kinds of things before. What do you mean by that? And why do you think that's going to happen now? Well, you know, the migration from the Northeast and the Midwest to the South and the West has been going on for a few decades. And I can tell you just living here in South Carolina, the amount of development that there's been since I moved here in eight years is actually pretty remarkable. I even heard somebody refer to Myrtle Beach as the city the other day, (laughs) which is pretty new. Myrtle Beach is not a big town, but when people start calling it the city, um, you've reached sort of a, a critical mass. So this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, the cost of living in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey is very high and um, probably the biggest contributor to the cost of living is state and local taxes, especially property taxes. Property taxes in places like, you know, Westchester County for a pretty average house can get upwards of 30,000, 40,000 a year or higher. Lots of places in New Jersey, taxes are 20,000 or 30,000 a year for a house. And it's one of those things, things are already expensive as it is. And when you eliminate the deductibility of these taxes and you add 20 or 30,000 to an already very expensive place to live, I think that this will be the one thing that pushes a lot of businesses over the edge to relocate someplace cheaper. So in a trend that's been building for a couple decades, this would be the tipping point in your view? I think so, yes. I mean, for years, corporations, businesses, they've been relocating to southern lower tax states. You have lots and lots of corporate headquarters, businesses in these places, and yet places like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, they are still far and away the cultural, economic, and financial capitals in a lot of ways of this country. What is the tipping point really that moves them from being the cultural and financial capitals to being also ran cities behind, say, Dallas, Atlanta, Miami, and so on? Yeah, I think I think the tipping point is really having a lot of businesses relocate. I actually had this discussion with my dad years ago who lives out in Arizona. And he's, you know, he, he says, it's great here. You know, why, why doesn't Lehman Brothers move to Scottsdale? And it's, it's sort of a naive question, but it's not really like, why wouldn't a large financial firm relocate from New York to Miami? And I think we've seen a little bit of that already. I mean, David Tepper's firm relocated to Miami. And I think that a lot of the hedge funds in Greenwich are going to consider after this tax change, a move, I think Miami, Austin, Texas, uh, to a lesser extent, Nashville, where state income taxes are 0%. You know, this isn't going to happen overnight. This happens over a period of decades. And if you go back to, if you take a look at Miami in the 80s, I mean, it's where it is today, it's unrecognizable from where it was in the 80s. And I just think that trend continues. 
Our listeners may be familiar with an iconic newspaper headline, Ford to New York, colon, drop dead. The Ford being then-President Gerald Ford and Washington's refusal to help rescue New York from looming bankruptcy. Yet the rescue did happen. It happened largely at the hands of the private sector and concerned citizens. What makes you confident that that same effort can't be repeated? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors here. I mean, first of all, New York City had a remarkable turnaround in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and a lot of that was because of good governance. It wasn't really because it became less expensive, but there was a lot of factors. Crime went down, people were moving to cities, uh, migration to cities that all sort of helped out New York. Um, you know, you can make the argument that governments has not been as good the last four years, but really it gets back to an expensive place where your tax bill is going up multiple five figures and you're talking about people who have high six-figure incomes, Wall Street employees, attorneys, professionals, and they're, I hesitate to say struggling, but college tuition, property taxes, state income taxes, there's not a lot left over. And when they look at, you know, I could maybe make a little less money living someplace else and keeping a lot more of it, it looks pretty attractive. Jared, I, I'm curious about another issue. How would you game this out politically? I mean, how is this going to play out? Even though we're talking about southern states or lower tax states that tend to lean Republican overall, that they might be the beneficiaries, you would still have, say, a lot of people from blue states or Democratic states moving there. And, you know, that could conceivably change the political landscape. Even in these southern states, the the cities tend to be places that uh, go more Democratic, whereas the more rural parts of the states go Republican. So couldn't you conceivably see the country shift even more in a Democratic direction if you have these demographic movements? Yeah, you're actually you're starting to see that just in Myrtle Beach. You know, Myrtle Beach is voting to raise property taxes. Now, not a lot. The average property tax bill here in South Carolina is about $1,000 a year. And the increase will be very small. It'll be about $40 a year. But the direction is what's important. A lot of people from blue states have moved here and they view their taxes as being so low that they're willing to pay a little bit more. So already the dynamics are changing here. It would take a really, really long time to get taxes up to northeastern levels, but the direction has changed a little bit. And people flock to New York, not just to work in the street and everything else. I mean, this is a culturally iconic city, not just in the United States, but the world. Uh, to share a bit of my own story, I moved up here two years ago from suburban Maryland, swapped Potomac for Brooklyn, I find it almost intoxicating in its vibrancy. How do you replicate the cultural aspect of things? And if we're talking about schools, isn't it true that in the South, half the schools don't even teach science? It's God and guns. There's a couple of things at play here. Culturally, I'm a New Yorker. I lived in New York for a decade. And 
I'm a traitor. Uh, my knuckles drag on the ground. I walk and talk like a New Yorker. I'm a Yankee fan. And I'm used to having bars, restaurants, clubs, everything open until four in the morning. And, you know, I moved to South Carolina and I have three restaurants to choose from. How many of them do a good martini? <laughs> Actually, quite. it's not bad. There's some good martinis here. <laughs> um, but it was a little bit, like I said, it was a bit of an adjustment moving here. But there's, you know, my cash flow has gone up significantly. And to me, to me, it's not to everybody. Some people, they can't exist outside of New York. But to me, it's been a good trade. I would do that trade again. I enjoy it. I think the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle for people to move is definitely the schools. The schools are just not as good and not even really close. They don't compare to the Northeast. And I, I talk with people all the time who think about, you know, even moving to a place like Charleston and they ask me, what do I do with my kids? And I'm like, I don't know. That's, you know, that's when you start talking about boarding schools and things like that, private schools, because you know, the public schools aren't very good. And Jared, just to press you on the cultural point, how is the Birmingham Metropolitan Opera doing? <laughs> so, you know, we don't have the opera. We have Opry. We have the Carolina Opry. Um, there's, look, you know, I live about 90 minutes from Charleston. So a long drive, you know, so you can definitely go there and back in a day. Some of the best restaurants in the world. No theater. There's one playhouse. But really some of the best food and culture, and it's 90 minutes away. Um, so you just got to drive a little bit. It's not in your backyard. Let me go back to the point you were making about your own move to Myrtle Beach. You probably have a job that lets you have some flexibility. You can do a newsletter from various places or do your job from various places around the country. And yet uh, something we occasionally touch on in our economic coverage is how mobility has gone down for many Americans in recent years. People just aren't uh, willing to move to get to jobs like they used to. What makes you think that this tax plan is going to help reverse that trend? Is it purely the amount of money that people are getting now? You know, first of all, I'm very lucky to have a job where, you know, I sort of have a little bit of an arbitrage. I can make New York money and still live here. So that's not available to a lot of people. A lot of the factors that go into a reduction in mobility are, you know, the, the housing implosion from 10 years ago uh, got people stuck in their houses and also health insurance. People are really tied to their job in order to get benefits. I would say those are the two big factors that have reduced mobility. And, you know, if you're XYZ trader at a bank or a hedge fund in New York, you know, you can't just go look at job listings and see what's available in Charleston because it really isn't anything. You have to change careers. You have to become a financial advisor or a real estate agent or just do something different because that financial industry doesn't exist here yet. It does in some places. There's a commodities industry in Memphis. Atlanta is a big financial center. Charlotte is a big financial center. Charlotte is a great town. So, yeah, I mean, that's what people can do. Jared, don't get me wrong. I'm sympathetic with a lot of your arguments. And when it gets down to it, I'm a bit of an economic determinist. I'm just wondering whether New York really is different. I'm going to ask you another question that puts you on the spot a little bit. What is the theme song of, say, Houston, 
And did Frank Sinatra sing it? I'm struggling to think of another city in the world. But if we use that as a proxy for the cultural soft power of New York, there's not a single person, I would argue, on the globe who's not familiar with that song. I mean, I don't know what the Biloxi song is. When you move away from New York, you sort of have a different view. Now, I come back to the city every two or three months for business. So I'm kind of always in the city. I'm always coming back. I'm seeing people and... I get re-energized. I sort of get recharged when I get back to the city. Wait, 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 Jared. Uh, you mean the city as in Myrtle Beach or the city as in New York? The, the city is in New York, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I love coming back to New York, but my view has changed since I left. When I tell my wife, I, New York is full of crazy people. If I'm in Starbucks here and I get stuck in a slow line, like everything's cool. Like I'm just hanging out. I got time. Things are okay. I've seen people just come unglued in the line at Starbucks in New York. So it's been, I think, to move away from the city, as fun as it is, has been psychologically healthy because New York is a bit too much, especially when you get a little older. I'm coming up on 44, so it's a bit too much for me at this stage of my life. The idea that New York's financial clout is under siege isn't all that new either. In the mid-2000s, it was supposedly under threat from London. Well, that didn't work out too well. Britain voted to, quote, take back control, unquote. And that seems to have been the end of London's threat to anyone as a financial centre. Jared, again, are we writing New York's obituary too fast? Sure. I mean, too fast. I think all of this is going to play out over a period of decades. But I think, you know, to sort of rebut a little bit, a city as a financial center is taking on less meaning nowadays with so much trading being computerized. The exchanges are completely hollowed out. Employment has been reduced. I mean, this is measurable. You've seen uh, financial jobs disappear. So, you know, the statement that, you know, New York or London is the financial capital of the world is... I think it's just a little bit less relevant. Could Miami become the financial capital over a period of 30 years? Sure. But I mean, it really would take that long. I think New York is probably pretty safe for the time being. Jared Dillian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And do let us know what you thought. You can follow me on Twitter at Moss underscore Eco. And Scott is... At Scott Landman. And our guest is... At Daily Dirt Nap. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forres. The head of Bloomberg podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.